looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. Thank you. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor. How's everybody doing? Merry Christmas. Everybody ready for presents? Some people already peeked at their presents, shook it all about. My son, wherever he is, he knew instantly which box was the Lego box. How does that happen? We just know things, you know? Um, well, if you haven't been with us in this series, we're in a series, and today is the final day of Christmas stories, Christmas stories. And we all love to tell stories as we gather together during the Christmas season. We tell stories of Christmas past and Christmas presents and Christmas, no, no, that's a different story. Um, we tell stories of just things that have gone on in the year. We remember what's happened and here's the thing, every year my family um, on Christmas Eve would read through the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, we would read through it, we would take communion together, and, um, and what happens when you hear this same story year after year after year is eventually the characters kind of become like robots, and we stop seeing the characters in the story as people that are fully alive with their own vibrancy. And so within this series, you tell them, Noah. Um, within this series, we have been um, actively looking at individual stories that make up the much larger Christmas narrative. Because each one of these characters, when you really explore what's going on in their lives, all of a the sudden they come to life and they begin to illuminate something new. And so um, the undergirding question that we've been asking is what type of life do you want? What type of life do you want? Because we believe in the Christmas story it will share with us the type of life that we really want. So here's the thing. Trust Faith and hope are pillars of a life of value. And what we learned as we explored the characters, week one, we explored Mary. And we looked at the idea of trust because she has to trust what's going on as God shows up with, with an angel and says, hey, you're going to have a baby. And the line that she utters is, let it be to me as you have said. And we are invited to trust that we can bring God's love and goodness into the world. That we too can be pregnant with God's presence. And that's an amazing thing to trust. But it can only be given away by our actions. Trust is only given away by our actions. And week two, we looked at Joseph and we looked like at a life of faith. Because Joseph gets asked to steward and shape Christ in the world, to take him as his own, and we get invited to do the same thing with God's love and God's presence to everyone that we meet. We're invited to take it and shape it and grow it and allow it to become. And faith, actually, what it does is it invites us to wake up to God's dreams for us. And last week, we looked at the crazy story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and how God silenced Zechariah, so that Zechariah would not silence hope. What I love about this story, about these two characters that are part of the Christmas story, 
is they're not only related, Elizabeth is Mary's aunt, so uh, she becomes like a great aunt to Jesus. But what I love about this story is that their message of hope is for everyone who is barren, for a world that is barren and lifeless. And we get to hope that God is bringing the whole thing into a new and better reality, even when God is silent. And so today, um, we're going to meet a part of the Christmas story that is often forgotten. You know, we, we lit up our Christmas wreath. We're not allowed to do real candles in here. So we plugged in our Christmas candles, these pillars, and every week we, we lit up a candle. We lit up the faith uh, the trust candle and the faith candle and the and we, we, we lit up the hope candle and today we get to light up the life candle because this story is actually a story about the type of life that we want and can I just preface it with this Christ is the life that we want now let's jump into the story um, so I don't know if you guys know all of the different customs, but when Jesus was born, um, as when John was born, as when all Jewish babies are born, on the eighth day, they have a naming ceremony. It also coincides with the circumcision, but for the time being, we're going to focus on the naming ceremony rather than the circumcision because that will make everybody uncomfortable. All right? So when Jesus was born, on the eighth day, Mary and Joseph would have taken their little baby and as best they could, if travel was available, regardless of the screeningness of the child, they would have made their way to the temple in Jerusalem to um, actually dedicate their baby to the Lord because he was their firstborn male. And the Jewish people have a custom going all the way back to Exodus and into Numbers that the firstborn of everything was dedicated to God. Now, most of the time, if it was a child, you would redeem the child by bringing a second offering. The first offering was the child. A second offering so that you could buy back your child. And if you couldn't, that child technically was God's. There was never a case that we know of that someone didn't get bought back. So if you were wondering or worried about that, wait a second. Don't worry. They've been bought back. That is the story that we're jumping into, this dedication and naming ceremony in the temple. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 2 right after Jesus' birth into some often forgotten characters. And we're going to focus specifically uh, today on the prophet named Simeon. Can everybody say Simeon? Kids, you got that? Let, let's try one more time on the count of three. One, two, three. Oh, man, that was like a beautiful chorus. The words are going to be up on the screen for you. You can follow along at wayfinders.info, or if you're uh, online or have your uh, Bible with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be jumping in right at verse 25. It says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. 
That day, the spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. Can everybody say that? Go, go, go back one slide. Can everybody say that, all people? I have seen your salvation, which has been prepared for Oh, man, we're going to come back to that one. That's just golden right there. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, as was the tradition. And he said to Mary and the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. What an interesting, interesting story. Here, this common practice of bringing your child to the temple to be dedicated, to be officially named, to be given to God and be redeemed back into your family so that you know that all life is actually a gift from God. It's into that story that we meet this crazy old man named Simeon. The likely story is that the other side of the story when we read it at the candle time is that Anna, who had been there for like 50 years as a widow, day and night, never leaving the temple, that Simeon was even older. <laughs> so if she was in her late or mid-80s, Simeon's older, which is incredibly old for a life expectancy during that time that would end by your 40th birthday. Right? Old man. So kids, give me your best old man impression. Can you, can you like, do a few... If you're older in the crowd, please don't be offended. They're just, they're just getting into the story, trying to act it out. Here we go. What I love about what this naming ceremony says is that Simeon gets into a response when he sees this child. The scripture tells us that Simeon was devout. He was righteous. And he was waiting for the Messiah and that God's holy presence was upon him. In fact, he didn't stay day and night in the temple like Anna did. He was free to go wherever he wanted. And it says that the Holy Spirit led him to the temple at the exact time that Jesus was being brought in. And when he takes baby Jesus up into his arms, look at what he says. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I find that interesting that verse 29 says he can die in peace. Why do you think he would say that? 
as I started reflecting more and more on this, I think the idea is that he can die in peace because God has promised peace in our lives and in our world. And in this baby Jesus, Simeon says it has arrived. He can die in peace because God keeps his promise to bring peace. In fact, we know that to be true because this prophet was trained in the same line of prophets as the prophet Isaiah. They had different tribes of prophets, and he was in the, the, the line of Isaiah. And if you read Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, there's this really big promise that God would bring all nations into his future kingdom of peace. See, Simeon, when he saw this little baby, realized that the promised king, the promised Messiah, the promised one who would bring peace into the world had fully arrived. God keeps his promises. I don't know about you guys or where you need peace this season. Maybe you just need a good night's sleep and it'll never happen. Maybe you're anxious about something. Maybe you've been struggling and this season has opened up uh, a wound in a relationship or something that's unresolved, something that maybe needs forgiveness. This baby promises peace. And while having a baby will not necessarily save a relationship, this particular baby has some different qualities to him. Let's keep reading. In verses 30 and 31, Simeon says to God, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. That word salvation, when you translate it back into like the deeper parts of its meaning, doesn't just mean like keeping me from prison or saving me from corrupt governments. It actually goes down to the very essence of what it means to be saved from evil itself. That's an incredible claim that we would be saved in this life. It's in the perfect present tense, so it's not just future. It's right here, right now, that in this baby, God would be able to do something to save us from evil itself. I don't know about you, but our world has plenty of evil in it, doesn't it? There's plenty of hurt. There's plenty of addiction. There's plenty of brokenness. And we call those things sin. Sin is just another word for evil. And this salvation is for that and not just for some, right? Verse 32 says, for all people. Can everybody say all people? Now, you might be tempted right when we ask to say that. You might be tempted to say, but not me. Or, but not that person. You might be tempted to put an exclusion on that. But God's grace and mercy is offered to all people. 
with no exceptions. That is the good news that this kingdom would be built on, that this Messiah, this baby would come and point to. Um, now, let's look at verse 32 for a second. Verse 32, he says, Simeon finishes his praise to God, saying to God, uh, he, being the baby, is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. A light to the nations. I don't know if that's why we put Christmas lights on our houses and on trees. Or why the trees are evergreens symbolizing that life can exist even in the bleakness of winter. If you're in the southern hemisphere, I guess it doesn't really work out. But, you know, we'll just roll with some metaphors right now. But I do know this. God's presence is for all who struggle with faith. In fact, the name Israel means wrestling with God. So God's promise and goodness and light is for anybody who struggles with the idea of believing it. Maybe that's why it's for all of us. Because there are challenges sometimes when it comes to belief. But this prophet, he had probably read all of the ancient prophecies. In fact, all of the signs that he must have been hearing I don't know if there was like a gossip chain back then because the baby had been born for like eight days at that point. And if he had heard, caught wind and came out of his mountaintop experience to come to the temple, I don't know. But all of the signs were pointing to the Messiah. What type of signs am I talking about? Kids, what city was Jesus born in? Does anybody remember? Bethlehem. Way to shout it out. Bethlehem. Now, Adults, let me teach you something here. Does anybody remember what the name Bethlehem actually means? House of bread. That's right. We taught about it last year. Beit means house in Hebrew, and Latham means bread, house of bread. And in fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus would stand up and he would say in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Now, isn't that interesting? The bread of life, come to be salvation and good news and light for all people, was born in a city called Bakery Town. That's just sweet, sweet beauty. I don't even have to preach that. The text just tells you it. It should be in blinking lights to get your attention. Maybe one of those wiggly men on the top of a roof. Hey, guys, look. Now, as the story says, uh, there was no room for them, and so they had to go into a stable. Well, the stables just outside Bethlehem belong to a specific tower. Does anybody remember how the story goes down? Jesus is born, and then out in the what nearby are shepherds keeping their flocks over by night. In the what? The fields. Actually, in Israel... There is a specific stretch of land called the fields. On one side, you have the Gans, which is the hill country, and the other side, you have the Ganim. And there's a ten and a half stretch of land called the fields, ten and a half mile stretch of land called the fields. 
And in fact, that was royally owned land where this little sheep tower with these birthing stalls underneath that were the exact dimensions of the Holy of Holies were ceremonially cleaned and sterilized because that's where all of the kosher sheep for the temple sacrifices that they would do at the temple were born. And they were marched 10 and a half miles up the fields that consist of their entire life to the temple where they would be sacrificed for the sins of men. Now, this is really interesting to me because just on the edge of Bethlehem are some stables where the sacrificial lambs to take away the sins of many are born. And that's the birthplace of Jesus? In fact, when John the Baptist saw Jesus starting his ministry, he says in John 1, 29, that Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. They placed Jesus in a manger. Now, I know the story and the baba bas and the hee-haw-haws, um, great job, by the way, kids, showed us a picture of Jesus on the hay. And in fact, most nativities show us that picture. But actually, we can't guarantee that it was hay in there because hay would have not been very prevalent in Israel. And um, it's more likely that it was a carved out stone trough that would have mostly been used for water because that's what animals need. Um, and they would have placed Jesus in this perfect spot to hold him where water to keep us alive would have been. And in John 4, 14, Jesus stands up in front of everyone and he says, I am the living water. And those who drink from me will have everlasting life. I, I love this story and I love what Simeon must have been seeing, but probably the most prevalent one would have been this. Does anybody remember the song that the angels sang from the sky when they told the shepherds that this new king, this new Messiah, this new baby was to be born? Does anybody remember? Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God has pleased. That's Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Well, if you know anything about the seasons and about the Jewish festivals, that is a traditional chorus, like a Christmas carol, sung during a holiday called Sukkot. Now, Sukkot is a parade of lights every night because God lit up the darkness 
And in fact, all of the people would make little tents in their backyard, and their whole families would go backyard tent camping in the city, and they would have festivals during the day, and every night would be a parade of lights because Sukkot was a festival remembering the tabernacle and the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that led them through the wilderness. They were remembering the tabernacle being given to them because that's the space where God became present in their midst. So this chorus, these signs, I imagine a prophet like Simeon, when he would have heard that the angels were singing the Sukkot chorus, that this God was the God that would be fully with us. This was, in fact, the promised Messiah. I don't know how well he knew Psalm 72 or Isaiah 11. I don't know if he had heard rumors or, or murmurings or if the Holy Spirit just revealed all of this to him. God's Spirit does that to us, by the way. If you were ever wondering, like, somehow you just knew something was right or was wrong, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you. The climate that this story takes place in, God would have been silent for a few hundred years. So if you could imagine a really, really old man who knew all of the ancient prophecies, who had seen failed rebellions and uprisings, and people who believed that God's promised restoration of people and redemption of all things was happening before, only to see it fizzle out. You could imagine that this old man was cynical as to whether or not God was actually going to do it. Because God had been silent. And yet, he believed in the promised Messiah. He had trust. He had faith. He had hope. Does anybody know what a Messiah is? In fact, if you trace through what a Messiah is scripturally, it starts all the way back at the beginning. Who here are kids? You guys remember the story of Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve were in a garden that God created, and the story says that a giant snake, I'm presuming it's giant because it can talk, so a small talking snake seems less Snakey. A giant snake uh, in a tree begins to tell Adam and Eve the opposite of what God tells them. And they choose to listen to the snake. The snake had won, and they, they eat the fruit from the tree that they're not supposed to eat from. And then there's a prophecy that gets issued. That a son of man, a son of Adam, would eventually rise up and crush. Everybody do a big crush with your foot. Crush the serpent's or the snake's head. But the snake would also bite him, fatally wounding him. 
And if you fast forward a little bit from Genesis, you find out that God chooses a man named Abraham to be God's people in the world. And he promises that Abraham's going to get to bless the entire world and create a different type of nation in the midst of the corruption because everybody is still listening to the snake. And they don't know how to stop. And it's not Abraham, and it's not his son, and it's not his son's sons, but his great-grandson, Judah, gets another prophecy given over him that a king would come from his line that would be the promised king to make everything in the world right. And the story goes a little bit further, and you think that Judah's line would produce that when the great king David comes to power. A man over after God's own heart in the line of Judah, but he too listens to the snake. He gives in to evil. And then a prophet named Ezekiel comes along. Because David didn't do it, and his sons, man, they ran their country into the ground, and they did no better in beating out the snake. In fact, they lost the country of Israel itself. And Ezekiel comes on the scene, and he says, wait a second. Wait a second. God's still got this king. This Messiah is going to come. And then we find out lines like, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to take on the sins of many. He's going to die, but he's going to come back with the power to heal others. That's what Isaiah says. So he goes, these prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they talk about what will eventually come back. And then the Old Testament ends, the snake still having won, no snake killer having come out. And Luke starts his story about a baby king. And do you know what he does, parents? He contrasts it with another king who was also supposed to save the people of Israel. Um... Mary Rose, I know you know this. Who was the king when Jesus was born? King Herod. Luke contrasts a baby king born at a place where all sacrificial lambs are born. Born to be the bread of life and living water with Herod. A king that was corrupt and believed that through accumulation of wealth, we would solve our problems. Or a king like Caesar, who thought, through violence, I can create peace. If I just unite all the peoples of the world bowing to what I want, then we know there's peace. And parents, kids, I know you know this in your hearts. No manner of government, 
no manner of wealth, no product, no relationship. It will all fall short of providing you the life that you want. So when we say that trust, faith, and hope are pillars to a life of value, they are, but only when they're put in the right things or the right one, as the case may be. Jesus, according to Simeon, is the promised Messiah. He's the one who suffers and dies and comes back with the power to heal our hurts. He's the one who will provide true peace for all people. He is God with us who has prepared salvation from evil itself. This is what it means to have an active belief in Jesus. I want to read one more verse to you. This is the words of Jesus himself from John chapter 10, and then we're going to close. That's this. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life, and everybody say this last bit with me together, and have it to the full. To the what? Say that again. Have it to the full. That word full is the Greek word periosis. Everybody say perisosis. I, I said it right that time. Perisosis. It means exceedingly more, over and above, abundant, super added, more than necessary, supreme, further, more remarkable, or more excellent. This is essentially the eternal life God promises right here, right now, for you and for me. An eternal life, an exceeding life, a life to the full, unshackled by sin, fear, and evil. That's what this baby is set to get us. His name is Jesus. He makes darkness tremble. He makes light fade. And if you and I will put our trust that you and I can bring God's presence into this world. If you and I will have faith that we can steward God's presence in this life. If we will place our hope in this baby, we may just find the life that fully satisfies. Church, know if you've ever trusted Jesus as Lord. I don't know if you caught all the signs
that Simeon caught, but you don't need to wait till you are a man very late in life to come to an understanding that this baby is salvation for all. That means you. If you've never put your trust, your faith, or your hope in Jesus, the story of your life ultimately probably feels a little bit short. So the story of Christmas is the story of an invitation for you and me to step into trust, to step into faith, to step into hope, to ultimately find the life we want with Christ, a life free of sin and addiction, a life free of fear and darkness. And all we have to do is respond like the shepherds and the magi, is make a step towards Jesus and worship. So would you stand and sing this song with me as a declaration of your faith that you would put it in Jesus today? Peace, bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me, let it break at your name still. Call the sea still, the rage in me still, every wave at your name, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus, silence fear, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. 